this podcast deals with true crime, I will be speaking frankly and openly about subjects such as rape, murder, and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. When you think of evil, what images are conjured up? Perhaps the devil or demons? Or maybe ancient monsters like a vampire, werewolf, or banshee? Or maybe you think of evil that's all too real. Bundy, Dahmer, Gacy. But there is one case of evil that is heads above the rest. A man who was unrelenting in his quest to slaughter anyone who stood in his way. Tonight, on the True Crime Truckers podcast, I bring you the case of Michael Myers. Michael Audrey Myers was born on October 19, 1957. His mother was Edith Myers, and his father was Donald Myers. He had an older sister named Judith and a younger sister, Cynthia. The family resided in a two-story house at 45 Lampkin Lane in the suburban town of Haddonfield, Illinois. By 1963, when Michael was six years old, He claimed to have suffered from bizarre, inexplicable nightmares and heard a voice in his head that would tell him to do things. The voices, quote, tell me to say I hate people, Michael said. On October 31, 1963, Michael committed his first act of murder. His parents were away, and he was at home with his sister Judith, who was supposed to be babysitting him, but she cared more about spending an intimate moment with her boyfriend Danny Hodges. After Danny left, Michael dressed in a clown costume, went into the kitchen, picked up a kitchen knife, walked up the steps, and stabbed Judith to death. He then quietly walked back downstairs and into the front yard, where he waited for his parents and police to arrest him. Reading from the decision of Judge Walter Ward, I have no choice but to remand Michael Audrey Myers to the Smiths Grove, Warren County Sanitarium, 
where he shall be placed in the care of a resident psychiatrist who shall report to this court no less than twice a year. Further, Michael Audrey Myers shall be brought before the court on the day of his 21st birthday, where he shall be tried as an adult for the murder of his sister, Judith Margaret Myers. Michael was taken to Smith Grove Sanitarium where he became the patient of psychiatrist named Dr. Sam Loomis. He spent 15 years with Dr. Loomis, barely moving, never speaking a word. Michael Myers must be removed from the sanitarium immediately. I would suggest the maximum security ward at Litchfield. Dr. Loomis, the decision has been made. But this is a minimum security institution. The staff isn't adequately prepared. Prepared for what? The boy is a catatonic. He exhibits comatose behavior. No reaction to external stimuli. Have you read my notes? Yes, we have, doctor. Why were they not presented at the hearing? The judge requested Dr. Foster's analysis. I've spent four hours a day. Four hours a day with this boy? Every day, for six months. Far longer than any court psychiatrist. Dr. Loomis. Michael Myers is the most dangerous patient I have ever observed. Doctor, there is no diagnostic evidence to support that statement. He's, he's covering up. This catatonia is, is a conscious act. There's an instinctive force within him. He's waiting. For what? I don't know. On January 3rd, 1965, Michael's parents were killed in an automobile accident and Cynthia went into foster care system, where she was immediately adopted by Morgan and Pamela Strode, who changed her name to Lori. The governor of Illinois kept her record sealed so that no one would further connect Lori Strode with her psychotic Ogler brother. You fooled them, haven't you, Mike? But not me. Lori eventually forgot about her birth family and the visits she made to her brother. October 30th, 1978, Michael Myers destroyed his room at Smith's Grove and carved the word sister on his door before breaking out. He also released the other patients from their rooms. At the same time, Dr. Loomis and nurse Marion Chambers were arriving at the facility to transfer Meyer for his court hearing. Noticing that the patients roaming around outside the hospital Loomis got out of the car to investigate as Michael attacked Marion and sped away in their station wagon. It took us uh, most of the night to round up the patients. One of them was way over in the Morgantown Road. Who was watching him? I don't know. You don't know? What do you mean, you don't know? Well, it was supposed to be Bernardi. Supposed to be? Well, he wasn't here at 10. I don't know what happened. Where was he? Well... Bernardi. He must have broken the window with his hands. He came down the hall, breaking through all the doors, pushing all of the patients outside. As he drove across Illinois, Michael stopped to murder a truck driver to steal his boiler suit. Traveling to Haddonfield, Michael returned to his childhood home. 
The next day on Halloween, a teenaged Lori Strode dropped off a key at the Myers house for her realtor father and was immediately recognized by her brother. You're not supposed to go up there. Yes, I am. Uh-uh. Just watch. That's a haunted house. He said awful stuff happened there once. Mom, Elam probably won't get out of the sixth grade. I gotta go. I'll see you tonight. Michael proceeded to stalk her and her friends Annie Brackett and Linda Van Declock throughout the afternoon. He also stole Judith's gravestone from the local cemetery and broke into Nichols' hardware store to acquire knives, rope, and a Halloween mask. Hi, Dad. What happened? What? Somebody broke into the hardware store. Probably kids. You blame everything on kids. Well, now, all they took was some Halloween mask, a rope, and a couple of knives. Who do you think it was? It's hard growing up with a cynical father. Meanwhile, Dr. Loomis had followed Michael to Haddonfield and warned town sheriff Lee Brackett, the father of Annie Brackett, of the danger he posed. I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. What do we do? He's been here once tonight. I think he'll come back. I'm going to wait for him. I still think I should notify the radio and television. No. If you do that, they'll see him on every street corner. They'll look for him in every house. Just tell your men to keep their mouths shut and their eyes open. I'll check back in an hour. That night, as Lori and Annie were babysitting across the street from each other, Michael watched them from the shadows. He murdered Annie first, strangling her in her car as she left to meet her boyfriend before slitting her throat. Later, Linda and her own boyfriend, Bob, showed up only to fall victim to Michael as well. Worried about her missing friends, Lori crossed the street to investigate only to find Annie's body arranged under Judith Meyer's gravestone and Linda and Bob hidden in the closets. Michael lunged at his sister, catching her on the arm with his knife as she ran for help. Michael followed her across the street, and Lori was forced to stab him with both a wire hanger and his own knife. As Michael rose to resume his attack on Lori, only to get his mask yanked off and giving her a chance to see his face, Dr. Loomis appeared and shot him six times, causing him to fall off the balcony. When Loomis went to check the body, Michael had vanished. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. The injured Michael fled into the back alleys of Haddonfield. He killed teenager Alice Martin before breaking into the elementary school and scrawling Sam Hain into the chalkboard in blood. 
As news of the murder spread, chaos erupted in Haddonfield, with citizens rioting and teenager Bennett Tramer being killed in the confusion. Learning Lori's location from a news report, Michael resumed his search for her at Haddonfield Memorial Hospital, where she had been taken for her shoulder wound. Michael systematically murdered Lori's protectors at the hospital, including a security guard, two paramedics, a doctor, and four nurses. Meanwhile, Dr. Loomis, who was continuing his search for Myers with the help of the Haddonfield police, was told by Marion Chambers of Michael's sibling connection to Lori Strode. You didn't believe me, Nobby, did you? I'm sorry. Don't feel sorry for me. Feel sorry for that little town back there. Three years before they could get this. Dr. Loomis, I think there's something else you should know. You see the blackboard back there in the elementary school? Yes. In order to appease the gods, the druid priests held fire rituals. Prisons of war, criminals, the insane, animals were burned alive in baskets. By observing the way they died, the druids believed they could see omens of the future. Two thousand years later, we've come no further. Samhain isn't evil spirits. It isn't goblins, ghosts, or witches. It's the unconscious mind. We're all afraid of the dark inside ourselves. Dr. Loomis, please, listen to me. There's a file on Michael Myers that nobody knew about. I've seen everything. No. It was hidden, sealed by the court after his parents were killed. Now, after the governor heard what happened tonight, he authorized Dr. Rogers to open it. What file? It isn't fair. They should have allowed you to examine everything. That girl, that Strode girl, that's Michael Myers' sister. She was born two years before he was committed. Two years after his parents died and she was adopted by the Strodes, they requested that the records be sealed in order to protect the family. Jesus, don't you see what he's doing here in Haddonfield? He killed one sister 15 years ago, now he's trying to kill the other. Tonight, after I shot him, where did they take her? The clinic. The clinic? Where? Do you know this area well? A little bit. Where's the hospital located? Dr. Loomis, we're under orders from the governor. It's back on Route 17, about three miles. Turn this car around now. Can't do that. I've got orders. Those orders have changed. Loomis, realizing why Michael had come home, tracked him down to the hospital and saved Lori's life for a second time. Loomis and Lori worked together to cause an explosion in the hospital operating room, which engulfed Michael in flames. Michael suffered severe burns and was left in a coma. 
he was sent to Ridgemont Federal Sanitarium until October 30, 1988, when he was arranged to transfer back to Smith Grove. Yeah, the one you're picking up? Just thinking about him. Gives me the willies. Yeah, a decade ago, Halloween night, he murdered 16 people, maybe more, trying to get to his sister. Nearly got it, too. But his doctor, of all people, shot him six times. Then he set him on fire. Both of them nearly burned to death. Yeah, I'll be glad to see this one gone. Yes, indeedy. However, upon hearing that his sister Lori Strode had died and her daughter Jamie Lloyd, his niece, lived in Haddonfield, he woke up from his coma and murdered those with him in the ambulance. After the vehicle crashed off a bridge, Michael escaped and began his journey back to Haddonfield. He stopped at Penny's gas station and murdered the employees, stealing new overalls from one of the mechanics. Meanwhile, Dr. Loomis, who had heard of Meyer's escape and was tracking him once more, encountered him at the diner and begged him to leave the people of Haddonfield alone. Michael? Why now? You waited ten years. I knew this day would come. Don't go to Haddonfield. If you want another victim, take me. But leave those people in peace. Please. Michael. Michael responded by driving off in a stolen truck, burning the station to the ground in the process, and leaving Loomis stranded. In Haddonfield, Jamie was suffering regular nightmares about her uncle. When taken shopping for Halloween costumes by her adopted sister, Rachel Carruthers, she briefly saw him as he was stealing a new mask from the discount store. When Loomis finally arrived in town, he contacted new sheriff Ben Meeker with the news of Michael's return. The pair of them went out searching for Jamie, who was trick-or-treating with Rachel. Oh, I need to speak with Sheriff Brackett. Well, then you'll have to travel about 3,000 miles south of here. What? Brackett retired back in 81. He moved to St. Petersburg. Oh, well, who's the new sheriff? I am. Ben Meeker. Oh, Sheriff Meeker. My name is Dr. Loomis. Folks around here aren't likely to forget your face. He's not cops. So it brings you back here after 10 years. Michael Myers has escaped from Richmond. He's here in Haddonfield. That's impossible. Michael Myers is an invalid. He's here, Sheriff. Why? Ten years ago, he tried to kill Laurie Strode. Now he wants her daughter. Are you talking about Jamie Lloyd? Wherever she is, that little child is in mortal danger. Myers has been locked up since before she was born. He's never laid eyes on her. Six bodies, Sheriff! That's what I've seen between here and Richmond! A filling station in flames! I tell you, Michael Myers is here in this town! He's here to kill that little girl and anybody who gets in his way. Michael had begun his attack on Haddonfield, destroying the town's power supply and single-handedly wiping out the entire police force, but Meeker and Deputy Logan. When word got out that Myers was back, a group of vengeful town folks began patrolling the streets with shotguns. Meeker and Loomis finally caught up with Jamie and Rachel, and they all took refuge in Meeker's house. 
However, when Michael found a way in and began killing their protectors, the two girls escaped via the roof and were eventually rescued by people hunting Myers. Jamie and Rachel were driven out of town to safety as the state police arrived to deal with Michael Myers. However, Michael had secretly hitched a ride under their truck, and Rachel was forced to take the wheel when he killed their driver. She drove erratically as Michael clawed at her from the roof, eventually throwing him off the roof and hitting him straight on. Jamie went over to check her uncle's body, and as he rose once again, Meeker and a team of armed police showed up and shot him relentlessly until he fell down a nearby mine shaft. The police threw a stick of dynamite into the mine to finish him off, but Michael crawled out just in time and was swept away by a river. When he finally escaped the current, he fell back into his coma and was discovered by a hermit who nursed him back to health. A year later, Michael awoke from his coma, killed the hermit, and continued the search for his niece. Jamie was now living at the Haddonfield Children's Clinic after stabbing her stepmother on Halloween 1988. Michael's evil had somehow affected her, and she now shared some kind of psychic bond with her uncle, knowing where and when he would strike next. Michael returned to Haddonfield and began stalking Rachel, sneaking into her house and stabbing her with a pair of scissors. When Rachel's friends Tina Williams and Samantha showed up looking for her, Michael followed them to a party at Tower Farm. Jamie, however, sensed that Tina was in danger and escaped the clinic to look for her friend. At the party, Michael murdered Samantha and her boyfriend in the barn while they were having sex. Just as Tina found the bodies of her friends and the police officers sent to protect, Jamie showed up at the farm and Michael chased them through the fields in his car. Tina sacrificed herself to save Jamie shortly before Loomis and the Haddonfield police arrived. Loomis told Michael, who was lurking in the woods, to meet him at the Myers house. It will destroy you too. One day, Michael, this rage which drives you, you think if you kill them all, it will go away. It won't. You have to fight it in the place where it's strongest. Where it all began. If you want to get rid of this rage, Michael, go home. Go home. Go to your house. I shall be there waiting for you. You'll find her waiting for you. Loomis and Sheriff Meeker arranged a sting operation to trap Michael in his childhood home using Jamie as bait. Michael, however, was not falling for the trick and murdered the staff at the children's clinic to distract the police. Ignoring Loomis' attempts to reason with him, Michael killed the remaining police officers and began chasing Jamie through the derelict Myers house. She eventually ran upstairs to the attic where she discovered a child's coffin laid out ready for her. With nowhere left to run, Jamie climbed into the coffin, and as Michael raised his knife, asked her uncle to show her his face. Uncle!
let me see. In a bizarre moment of humanity, Michael removed his mask and began crying. But when Jamie tried to wipe away his tears, he recoiled in rage. He followed Jamie downstairs, where Loomis shot him with tranquilizers before finally beating him unconscious with a plank of wood. Michael was taken into custody at Haddonfield Police Station, and Meeker made preparations for him to be transferred to a maximum security facility. However, a mysterious person in black entered the building and machine-gunned every officer in the building before disappearing with both Michael and Jamie. Residents of Haddonfield believe that Jamie and Michael died in the explosion at the police station in 1989. In fact, the mysterious man in black had taken them and hid them away in an unknown building, and now Jamie had been impregnated. On October 30, 1995, Jamie gave birth to a boy and escaped the sanitarium with the help of a sympathetic midwife. After calling a radio station to alert Dr. Loomis that Michael was after her, Jamie hid her baby at a bus station and fled back to Haddonfield. When Michael forced her off the road, Jamie took refuge in a barn, where Michael found and impaled her on a corn thresher. As the bleeding Jamie told him he could not have her baby, Michael switched on the machinery and watched as his niece was gutted. Then he returned to Jamie's vehicle and searched for the infant to find that it was not there. Meanwhile, a new family had recently moved into the Myers house. Relatives of the couple who adopted Lori Strode. The youngest, Danny Strode, was hearing voices telling him to kill, much like Michael had as a child. Across the street, Tommy Doyle lived in a boarding house owned by Miss Blankenship and was obsessed with Michael Myers. After hearing Jamie's cry for help over the radio, Tommy tracked the call to a bus station and discovered her baby, who he named Stephen. He then ran into Dr. Loomis at Haddonfield Memorial Hospital and warned the Strode family that they were in danger. Dr. Loomis? Yeah. Dr. Loomis, thank God you're here. You heard her last night, didn't you? It was Jamie. I'm sorry. I, I don't know you, do I? I'm Tommy. Tommy Doyle. Lori Strode, Jamie's mother, was babysitting me the night when... Tommy Doyle. What are you doing here? Please. I need to know the truth. Michael Myers has come home, hasn't he? What, what, what do you know about Michael? I know he's still out there. People in this town, they want us to believe he's dead, but I know. 
I've always known. She's out there fighting for her life. If she should die, she is the last of his bloodline. No, Dr. Loomis. She's not the last. Oh, God. There's a family, relatives of the people who adopted Lori, Strodes. They're living in the Myers house. True to Loomis's warning, Michael returned to his house and murdered the Strodes in search of Jamie's baby, leaving only Danny and his mother Kara alive. Kara and Danny were taken in by Tommy, who explained to them his theories that Michael Meyer was cursed by a runic symbol called Thorn, by a cult of people who worshipped it. Runes are a kind of early alphabet that originated in Northern Europe about 500 BC. They were symbols carved out of stone or pieces of wood used in pagan rituals to portend future events and invoke magic. Of all the runes, Thorn had the most negative influence. Among the ancient druids, Thorn represented a demon that spread sickness, destroyed crops, brought death to hundreds of thousands of people. According to Celtic legend, one child from each tribe was chosen to be inflicted with the curse of Thorn to offer the blood sacrifices of its next of kin on the night of Samhain. Halloween. The sacrifice of one family meant sparing the lives of an entire tribe. So why are you so concerned about us if Michael's only out to kill his family? In his mind, anyone living in his house is his family. For years, I've been convinced there must be some reason, some method behind Michael's madness. And the common link I found is Thorn. The druids were also great mathematicians and astronomers, but the thorn symbol is actually a constellation of stars that appears from time to time on Halloween night. Whenever it appears, he appears. I've traced it back to 1963 when Michael murdered his sister Judith. And the next time was in 1978, Michael escapes from Smith's Grove. It happened a decade later, and the year after that, he kills again. Now Jamie says, Michael is back. And for the first time in six years, Thorne reappears. Coincidence? What would happen if he succeeded? If he killed the last member of his family? And Michael's power would end. And the curse would be passed on to another child. The Man in Black was later revealed to be Dr. Terrence Wynn, Dr. Loomis's longtime friend and former colleague. He and his group of people who appeared to be the Cult of Thorn arrived at the boarding house to retrieve Stephen, as well as Danny and Kara in the process, leaving Tommy and Loomis drugged. When they awoke, Tommy and Loomis tracked the cult down to Smith Grove Sanitarium. As Loomis confronted Wynn about his role in all this, Wynn congratulated Loomis on being the first to recognize the unique power of Michael's evil. Wynn wanted to exploit this power and invited Loomis to join him. About time, Dr. Loomis. Welcome to your fate. The time has come for you to know the truth. The time has come for you to join us. Why? No. After Jamie escaped last night, I knew she would come to you, and I knew that you would lead us to her baby, her very special baby. I needed her, just as I need you now. 
It's your destiny. Sam, it lives inside you. It always has. You know that, don't you? You... are... a madman. Look around you, Sam. Madness everywhere. Famine, war, a great plague. These are signs that we must restore balance to the natural order of things. We merely provide the means. Michael? We've given him the power, the gift of Thorn. I am its deliverer. I follow it. Act as its guardian. I protect Michael. Watch over him. And now it's time for another. Now it's time for you, Dr. Loomis. I thought Michael was a monster, but you... <laughs> Meanwhile, Tommy snuck into the maximum security ward to rescue Kara and the children. They encountered Michael Myers wandering the halls of the asylum and witnessed him butchering several members of Dr. Wynn's staff and Dr. Wynn himself while working on a genetic engineering experiment, possibly involving Danny. Michael then continued his search for Jamie's baby, only to be pumped full of drugs and beaten unconscious with a pipe by Tommy. As Tommy, Kara, and the children prepared to leave Smith's Grove for safety, Dr. Loomis declined, deciding to stay and attend to some, quote, business. Back inside the building, Dr. Loomis is heard screaming, leaving the fate of both Dr. Loomis and Michael Myers unknown. about the character of Michael Myers, the original Carpenter version, not counting the sequels, is that there's no reason for why he does what he does. He is just evil for the sake of being evil. He has no motive, no agenda. He truly is the boogeyman. And that's what's most terrifying, is that he kills because he enjoys it. And that is an evil that we can all relate to. And we know that it is an evil that is truly unstoppable. I'm excited to see the newest installment of the franchise, which comes out the day before this episode comes out. Hopefully I'll be in the theaters watching it by the end of the weekend. Testing one, two, three. We're on. 
We're here to investigate a patient that killed three innocent teenagers on a Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night. And has spent the last 40 years in captivity. Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see. <laughs> Everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? What the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. Dad, look out! The bus crashed. Mom, what bus crashed? Michael escaped. Excuse me, somebody's in here. Hello? waited for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get out! Go home! Get inside! You don't believe in the boogeyman. He's here! Michael! You should. Can you close the closet door? I hope you enjoyed this special Halloween episode. As always, you can contact me at truecrimetruckerpodcast at gmail.com or join the Facebook group at True Crime Truckers Podcast. Also, visit my webpage at www.ageofradio.org backslash truecrimetrucker backslash. You can also follow me on Instagram at michael.prit81. I will return in two weeks with a new case to present, so until then, stay safe.